0: A predominantly black church in Colorado Springs is accusing police and the El Paso County District Attorney's Office of racial and religious discrimination.
1: The Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has filed a federal lawsuit claiming authorities didn't properly investigate a $20,000 theft.
2: Chief investigative reporter Chelsea Brinsel is live outside the church on Windchime
3: Place to explain. Chelsea.
0: Martin and Lauren, this all started with church members here who say they were trying to help out a family in need. They paid to put up the family in an apartment and then furnished it. And then when the family cut ties with the church, the lawsuit says they took off with the furniture and police failed to properly investigate. A 23-page lawsuit filed in federal court by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church accuses Colorado Springs Police and the El Paso County District Attorney's Office of violating church members' civil and religious rights.
4: It was so outrageous, uh, so without merit, we felt that this was a personal targeted attack against the church and its parishioners.
0: The case centers around what took place at an apartment the church paid for and allowed a struggling family to stay at. The lawsuit says in August, the church learned that the family was in violation of the church apartment lease regarding the possession and use of a firearm to threaten an individual. The church says it advised the family of the violation and gave them 30 days notice to move out, stating that they needed to leave the $20,000 worth of furniture and other church property inside. But when that 30 days was up, the family was still there. Church members went to the property to change the locks, The lawsuit claims the family granted them permission to enter the apartment. But shortly after, they say a tenant brandished a gun and a young boy came out with a baseball bat. Church members say they immediately left and called police. The church vice president says police never contacted them for an interview about what happened. But police quickly turned suspicion to the church members and charged them with several felony crimes, including burglary and stalking related to that day. Eventually, the family living in the church apartment moved out, and the $20,000 worth of church property was gone. A Colorado Springs fellowship claims police never investigated their report about the alleged theft. According to the lawsuit, the church says... Defendants racially profiled the plaintiffs and assumed, at least partly because of their race, that they presented an enhanced threat to public safety.
4: They looked the other way. They did nothing. And to this day, they have not been arrested. They have not been charged. That's unequal justice.
0: The El Paso County District Attorney's Office declined to comment on this lawsuit, telling 13 investigates that there is an ongoing criminal case against church members. The Colorado Springs Police Department did not respond to our request for comment. Reporting live in Colorado Springs, Chelsea Brenzel, 13 investigates.
4: Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, Nick and Arnesia Gaynor, criminals without question, abuse of the system, and supported by a corrupt detective in CSPD, the Colorado Springs Police Department, Brian Carrado. What causes an entire department to hide behind? corruption and allow those who have threatened, who've made, who've made threats really with an actual loaded gun to someone in the community. He's at large, Nick Gaynor, his wife and accomplice of violence. We deal with it tonight on AJC Radio. Folks, hang on to your seat. We take off right now.
5: And there you have it. I'm
4: Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, Staphson Riddle, William Williams, and Dennis Merritt. And I'll tell you what, folks, right now, this is a issue that is important as there are two members of our society here in Colorado Springs in El Paso County who are criminals at large. They are Nick Gaynor and Arnicia Gaynor who have set out really to... Uh, use the corruption of the Colorado Springs Police Department as a hiding place, a haven of rest, if you will, and protect it, even though they have continually made threats, violating a temporary restraining order. And why is it that the judges in this community, some of them, simply will not issue an order of protection? When it's clear, when a gentleman, a person, excuse me, waves a gun, as Nick Gaynor has done... And the attitude that he has had, how is it possible that we need to have a body bag filled with the victims of Mr. Gaynor before action, and even at that point, will action happen against uh, these two uh, perpetrators of crime? David, your thoughts on this regarding Nick Gaynor? We're going to get deep into this one
5: tonight. Well, this is just another example of what's wrong with... uh, the dark side of law enforcement. You just, we look at everybody talking about improving police relations uh, with the community and things of that nature. I just, I don't see it happening. I believe these types of issues, uh, these these unnecessary, just totally gratuitous actions by the police department to, to target a church and parishioners, who were just there to try to collect their property and um, and, uh, go on a witch hunt and not to rein in rogue police. And I just don't, I'm not encouraged at this point. People look at the George Floyd type of cases. They think that uh, that was some sort of uh, seminal event uh, in policing. And in some ways it was, but people must understand that there are many other issues that uh, are responsible for the distrust of police and 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 those in the criminal justice system it's case, case is cases just like this. Many of them are not reported. If somebody gets beat up by the police. If somebody gets harassed by the police. You're not gonna. Their attitudes are not gonna change. Many people's attitudes are not gonna change, and it's gonna continue to erode erode the uh, policing in this country uh, with with the communities they serve.
4: No, absolutely right, and it's something that really is unacceptable. Uh, and you're dealing many times with domestic violence issues, but it's not simply in that particular window alone. Uh, they, and this is not only in Colorado. We're dealing with Colorado, but we're dealing with numbers across the country. Uh, and it's a story we're going to share on the other side of this break. Calls for change after slain woman denied protective order in Shelby, Ohio, uh, of a 22-year-old woman who was killed after being denied. Something needs to be done. And if a judge sits on a bench and says, well, that, that's not good enough, we don't have enough, then that judge should be removed, period. Because if this, in this particular case in Ohio, uh, you go through the system asking for help, asking for, look, my life is in danger. I know personally of two people, and I'm going to share the story with you tonight that I knew here locally uh, who had applied for protective orders. And last word I got, they had been brutally killed as a result of those orders being denied. We're going to share all of that and deal with that on the other side of the break as we get all our co-hosts involved here tonight. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks, it's a troubling situation. It is troubling to the point where is the value of human life as judges casually go through their day and simply deny deny a protective order when someone is telling you they fear... For their lives, as if for some reason, uh, these ladies and whoever's involved, victims are just making stuff up, going to a courthouse, and it's it's proven that we've become callous within the system. And if a judge is callous enough, and somebody is killed on their watch as a result of their order, denying it, they should be charged with accessory to murder. We're going to deal with all of that on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. <laughs>
9: My nephew Joshua was 13 when he was killed in 2001. Was living with me at the time. He asked me, can I go by Billy's house? I thought, well, you know, what's the harm in that? You know? My mistake was I assumed that there was a parent home. I assumed his father had his weapon properly secured. The kid had removed the magazine, so the kid was sure that the gun was safe. And he, what he didn't know was there was a bullet chamber. Joshua had this fear of weapons because he lost his mother to gun violence. I think this kid really pulled the trigger to show Joshua that that it was not dangerous the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is to tell my mom we have to bury her grandson. The pain was so great, we just wanted to do something positive, and we also wanted to try to prevent families from experiencing the same pain that this put my family through. working with the End Family Fire campaign. Family Fire is the accidental shooting of a family member with a weapon that was improperly secured, improperly stored. It's a difficult conversation for people. You don't want to ask or say anything to your neighbors because you don't want to offend them, but there are important things we should know Where are they going when they play? (laughs) What is the environment of that home? We have to understand that children are inquisitive. They're curious. And there's not one corner of the house that they haven't gone through. If you're a gun owner, you have to make sure your weapon is inaccessible. It will save the family from the pain and the trauma that my family's put through. Because once that happens, it's forever. And if I could prevent one family from experiencing that, then his life will have some purpose.
4: For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should he ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, One eight five five. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are. Our future. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we deal with a a troubling issue across this country. Uh, But tonight we deal with Nick and Arnisha Gaynor. They're two uh, partners in crime, if you will, dealing with threats and things that they've done uh, in violation of protective orders, a temporary protective order that was actually issued uh, regarding a young lady who was approached, harassed uh, at her place of employment. We'll leave her name confidential uh, for her protection at this point. Uh, And then going back into court, uh, asking for a permanent protective order. The temporary was granted by a judge. We'll have those names here shortly. But uh, a total disregard for an active order of protection and made this type of threat uh, at the district attorney's office here in El Paso County in Colorado Springs. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, and this wasn't the first time it has been reported uh, Where well, this young lady was denied before uh, the temporary was ever granted. She was denied before. Uh, and this is about a detective, a senior detective, by the name of Brian Carrado of the Colorado Springs Police Department, uh, who simply is hiding and trying to protect his false case uh, against uh, some bogus charges brought against parishioners of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Uh, and in order to keep his standing, if you will, in that case, uh, he's not willing to paint Nick Gaynor as this violent, threatening, ghetto, uh, if you will, uh, person who, who preys upon women uh, in the community in regards to this particular young lady with a threat, with the support of his wife, Arnisha Gaynor. Uh, Sampson, your thoughts on this? Uh This is a bad situation, but we're going to deal with it either way.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, when the fact of the matter is, is when you're following the letter of the law saying, hey, I'm being threatened, and you're going through the the due process of saying, hey, it is your job to protect me. I'm going to get this order put in place. And even if you look on the El Paso County Sheriff's Office uh, website, they talk about the process, and they make it seem rather easy. But the fact of the matter is, is it's not the case when you have, again, a, a, a crooked detective in the basically in the back pocket of the people that are sitting here violating the temporary, you know, um,
10: protection order.
1: No, absolutely right.
10: Uh, Dave But when you look at this, this is just ridiculous. You have somebody that violated a previous order and then goes and the judge doesn't grant a new one, that doesn't make any sense. And you see so many cases of judges that haven't granted an order. Where the bias actually occurred, I just read an article that happened on May twentieth. The woman was in court to get a protective order on her husband, and during that time, the husband killed their son. And the judge, during that time, denied the order, saying that he shouldn't, um, he shouldn't have to have a well, protective he sh- order. He should
4: be charged with the attempt- with accessory to murder. Yes, you should be charged. That is your job on the bench, is to take these accusations. It's the same thing with domestic violence across this country, that people are calling nine one one, and I don't know if you've seen the the, uh, the PSA with the ladies ordering a pizza, yep. uh, because she has to talk in code, as her li- and many lives have been saved as a result. And the nine one one operator said, "Oh my goodness, you're in trouble. Are you in trouble? Yes or no?" Yep. And they are. Go- it's been a huge push with that. Uh, life has to mean something. The value of life has to mean something, and we were discussing this on the on the on the break. Uh, uh, yeah, you have people that uh, the, the the claim is is that they they cut down on granting uh, protective orders because some of them didn't meet the standard. They wasn't they were fraudulent protective orders. My thought is this: it's a one percent chance that that lady in your courtroom could be killed. We take we we you take the good with the bad.
5: Well, there, there's one other thing here. It's the failure of the judge to ensure and police to ensure that when he violated the restraining order, that he was arrested. Mm-hmm. See, uh, the big thing is, there's one thing to, for the judge, uh, the first judge felt there was compelling enough information to grant a restraining order. Um, then the, the le- young lady goes back in court. The guy shows up uh in a, in a threatening manner, he 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 wasn't supposed to talk to her. He wasn't supposed. to, Nick Garner wasn't supposed to say anything to this woman. He did it. She goes back to the court. The courts won't do anything about it. Right. And it leads one to believe that obviously they're in bed with the police. So somebody makes a phone call or meets in the back room and says, "Judge, I need I need this uh, I need this guy. I can't have him dirtied up or muddied up for my case because if if he goes to jail, I'm going to lose this case." Well. That's the type of stuff that makes people despise policing and the criminal justice system as a whole.
10: No, absolutely right. Dave, go ahead. And when you look at it, you see so many instances where they talked about during the pandemic that the incidences of domestic violence went up, but less people reported it because they knew nothing was going to happen. And if they reported it, they felt that they would have more violence on them.
4: Oh, absolutely right. That's That's a good point to be made.
10: This story comes out
4: of Shelby, Ohio, by a uh, uh, reporter, Scott Knoll. Says, friends of a 22-year-old Hern County woman found murdered this week believe Gabriel Clevenger would still be alive if a judge granted her request for a protection order days earlier. Had she had that piece of paper the day he came to the door, she would have felt confident calling the police knowing that he's breaking the law, says Lisa Davis, a friend who said Clevenger moved into her Shelby home two months ago wanting to escape her troubled marriage. The judge denied Clevenger's request, finding she failed to prove by preponderance of evidence that Blair committed domestic violence against her or her family members since he did not sexually or physically abuse Clevenger. No one should have to be hit, should ever have to experience that. Get to that point before you get a piece of paper, said Davis, who stated she was a domestic violence survivor. In a statement, Richland County domestic relations judge Heather Cockley wrote, the court is deeply heartbroken to hear of the passing of Gabriel Clevenger. The magistrate assigned to this case has extensive experience in cases dealing with domestic violence and working as a prosecutor and an advocate for victims of domestic violence. The magistrate assigned to hear this case is responsible for applying the facts that's presented to the law and found that domestic violence had not been proven by a preponderance of evidence preponderance of evidence, excuse me, and she said she doesn't blame the judge for the decision but believes the court failed to protect her friend. Well, you can't have it both ways. Did you want to say, Well, this guy has ex- this judge is experienced with domestic violence, he's a true advocate. Someone's in a body bag. Because you didn't do your job. You can say whatever you want to say and say, Well, this doesn't line exactly up with the law. A woman came to you crying for help. She came. And because you don't have – you don't have evidence many times because these victims are scared to death. So they relocate. They go somewhere. Let's get some – get away from this, this nut job who's threatening to kill me because I don't want to be with him anymore. All types of scenarios are in place with that. William, your thoughts?
6: You know, it takes me back to a couple shows ago we were talking about discretion, you know, how how they choose to do the things that they do in the criminal justice system – and and take you know, just on their own discretion, you know, I, they just say, well, you know, this guy was, he doesn't appear to be violent. There was no, uh, no case of physical abuse here in this situation, so we're we're going to deny that and let it go. And now somebody's in a body bag, and you sit there and you say, what what, what was your basis for judgment for this? I mean, uh, the fact that somebody has come to you and said, listen, I have a problem. I'm trying to escape this abusive relationship. I'm trying to move on with my life and I need I need help. I need help. I mean, that's what it's there for. And and yet you look at this person and say, No, what you're really telling me, I don't really believe. I don't think you're in that much
4: danger or that much having that level of difficulty. So I'm not gonna grant this to you. Well, here's the problem, the judge with regarding this young lady that Nick Gaynor uh, purposely harassed, smirking and laughing behind her uh, at the district attorney's office it's clear he's agitating and speaking to her it's not something that you know you got apps now well anything on your computer to play a video you can slow it down a thousand times slow which which I had the opportunity to do and I'll tell you what it was clear he was talking so the police department wants to give the impression oh we maybe we don't have that technology, you do have the technology because you do it every time when people are whatever that's going on, whatever crimes are being committed, if I can pull it up on my computer within five seconds and go a completely, absolutely slow mo, and he's smirking and smiling, agitating he's already pulled a gun twice and we're supposed to respect the court, we're supposed to respect the judge who made the statement, I believe your fear ma'am is sincere Well, if my fear is sincere, grant me the order. That's true. That's the bottom line. If you can determine as a judge your fear is sincere, which means you're being honest, then how don't you grant that?
5: Yeah, doesn't she have the right to just be left alone?
4: Period. Period.
5: And why is it so hard for, for the judge to issue an order to say, okay, I just want to be left alone. It's obvious this guy's bothering me. He's harassing me. He's he's agitating. I just want to be left alone. Judge, can you just at least just tell uh, issue the order so he can just leave me alone? I don't want to be bothered. Everybody has a right to be left alone.
10: And why is it a court offended that this guy is basically gaming the system? I mean, he's because, this, this is a big game to them. He's a pawn.
5: Yeah,
4: and
10: so why aren't they looking at? You know what? This is a serious business. You should, you, this is not your little uh, get even or get your little playtime with the courts. You should you see this guy smirking. You see this guy basically thinking he's smarter than everybody else in the room and you allow us to happen. I mean, most courts will get offended. So why aren't this, Why is this court and judge offended? But like David, it says
5: there, the judge is in on it. Someone could die as Mont point earlier. Do
4: you want someone to be left in a body bag? It seems to me obvious that you don't care. And that's why you have all these movements of saying, Hey, we don't respect the judicial system. We don't respect cops. We, we know there are good cops, but in this one, this is a crooked cop, and people
5: are growing tired of it.
10: And well, if, look, it was, if it was the exact opposite way, where the gainers were looking for a protective order, it would have been granted. Protect. Well,
4: look, the judge has denied the restraining order is Magistrate Papazizky, uh pronounced Papfisky, if, if I said that correctly. Um, she's the one that denied it. Why did you deny it, Judge? That's the question. Somebody has to show up, and I am a, I am uh, outraged at the article coming out of Ohio about that young lady. And you want to give you want to take a minute of this press release or this article and run your mouth about how good this judge has in, in her experience or his experience in dealing with domestic issues. So we don't fault the judge. Yeah, we fault the judge. This lady is 22 years old dead and she came to your system for help. that's that's absolutely unacceptable. and until this until people in this country get aggravated and angry of this type of nonsense because body bags people die every year because someone said, I, I don't think it's that serious. I don't think it's that bad and the unreported killings of women. Don't even go to the reporting of women dying fearful, sometimes single parents scared to death with their kids. As Dave's story uh, uh, pointed to, she's in court begging for help, denied while her son or daughter is getting murdered by this same perpetrator. You've got to be kidding me. And Nick Gaynor walks around like he just is the law. He's garbage. It's true. Pray upon women, you're trash. That's what you are.
6: Go ahead, William. You know, as, as you were talking, I was sitting there thinking, now if you change this and you say a 22-year-old woman checks into an ER and has an emergency surgery, she dies on the table through a botched procedure, that's a malpractice. That is getting ready to happen. In this case, this happens, this woman dies, and the judge has no accountability. And it's, it's sad. I mean, the judge can just rule, and there's no accountability. And we've been saying that forever. Accountability at the bench. They can make a ruling. It costs somebody their life,
4: and they just
6: go on. They well, go on. They, tomorrow's a new day.
4: Well, we're going to deal with it. Uh, joining the conversation now, folks, uh, Regina Gibbons, uh, she's co-host of House of X podcaster. Uh, Her story is compelling. I'm going to let her tell the story versus myself. Uh, Our team reached out to her and she has something to say. Uh, Regina, are you with us? I'm here. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, We thank you for uh, taking some moments out of your evening to join this very, very important dialogue that we're having. I'm not sure how much of the show that you've heard thus far, but uh, temperature's hot here on this issue. (laughs) Uh, dealing with people uh, dying needlessly because people will not do their job. Uh, Thank you. I'll give you the floor to introduce yourself, and we'll go into this dialogue with you, okay?
11: Sure. Um, Well, as you heard, I'm um, a co-host of the House of X podcast. I'm a mother myself. I have three wonderful children. Actually, I just became a grandmother recently. And, um, you know, we've had a situation with my family where – um, my parents have been married for over 30 years and my dad passed away from lung cancer in 2015. And, um, after he passed away, of course, my mom, she started to get a little bit lonely. So she started looking for love again and she thought she found it. Uh, she had, uh, a, a boyfriend who was lining and dining her, bringing her flowers, you know, flattering her and telling her how beautiful she was and, from there, he progressed to denigrating her and calling her a whore and a b- and accusing her of sleeping with my husband. Who, we don't even live in the same state. Um, mm-hmm. He threatened to kill my five-year-old nephew, and he said he would frame her for it. He told her if um, she tried to break up with him or if she tried to leave him, he would stalk her. He would put cameras around her house, and he would always know what she was doing. Eventually, wow. it got to the point where he had terrorized her to the point that she agreed to move in with him if he would leave us alone. He did threaten to burn down my house and harm my children. Um, wow. And at some point, you know, she ran away from him several times because he he continued to threaten her. The police were called multiple times. Um, there is a police report showing that he did harm her and leave bruises on her. She arrested. And eventually... Uh, he was not arrested. <laughs> he was never so me, arrested. He actually, he used to be a police officer, uh, as I understand it, or he was involved in a, the correction system previously, um, and he was given a lot of latitude by law enforcement um, doing some of the things that he was doing.
4: All right, let me ask you a question. So, so I have this right very quickly into your uh, information given. This guy. They have a report that he physically harmed this young lady, correct? Yes. Yet without any charges being brought up on him for, for the first assault. Correct. So, go ahead, continue your story. We'll we'll get into that at a moment, Charlie. Go ahead and continue.
11: Sure. Um, the... Um the threats against my nephew were documented. My nephew was five years old at the time. Um, <clears throat> eventually, my mom realized she was not going to be able to to escape what he was doing and saying to her and the threats that he was making. They just, they continued and they continued escalating. Um, he took pictures of us that she had in her possession and he put them on a gun stand and he shot all the pictures and he told her that's what he was going to do to us. So and this she is your mother, correct? This, this is my mother, yes, sir. Okay, all right. And um, she tried to leave again, and he took her phone, which was a pattern. He I can't tell you how many phone numbers she had over a 6- to 12-month period because he would break her phone any time she tried to call for help. And then he would get her a new phone when she agreed she would not call for help. So he had taken her phone and hidden it from her, so she couldn't call anybody. And this was in a fairly rural area. There were no neighbors within five miles. Um, As I understand it, the closest neighbor might have been 10 or 15 miles away. Um, It was in swampland. There were alligators out there, so it was not a safe place to try to run away at night. And nobody could hear her if she called for help. Literally could not scream for help because nobody would hear. So... For two days, they argued and argued, and she just kept telling him, I just want to go home to my children. I just, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to leave, and he would not let her, and this culminated in his death, and then she was arrested for first-degree murder.
4: So, ultimately, he ended up dying at her hand? Correct. In self-defense, without question? Correct. And she's in prison. How long has she been in prison now?
11: Um, she was just convicted two weeks ago, and she's expected to serve a 20-year sentence.
4: So oh, let me say to you real quick, uh, Regina, I'm so sorry. Uh, for what you, you and your family have been through uh, is heartbreaking. Uh, but here's the problem I have with the system. you got an ex-cop, ex-law enforcement, whatever you want to put title on this guy. When you act to defend yourself, how do you end up in prison for 20 years? And she reached out multiple times for help. The same thing we're talking about tonight, constantly trying to get help. Did she ever uh, seek a restraining order against this guy?
11: She did not. And part of that is because... um we had a dispute with someone else. Um, I personally did, and my my experience was very negative. They said we did not have enough evidence to um, be approved for a restraining order because it was just our words against theirs. <laughs> but, I mean, hey. these people are not really doing this stuff in public. <laughs>
4: but, know, here's what's,
12: um, but here's
4: what's bizarre, Regina. This is what's bizarre. So... You got he has the advantage of law enforcement protecting him. He ends up dead. You want to go after somebody with no intent to commit murder but to protect herself from the harm and not only herself, her children and her grandchildren. Trying to save them with the actions of this guy. Uh and this is what our whole show is about tonight. Turning the other way, looking the other way. Saying, "Well, we're not it's not this bad as you." No, don't worry about it. In your case, with the restraining on said, "Well, she doesn't have enough uh, evidence," so it discouraged, it, and that discourages people to call the police for help. Ultimately, costing your mother separation from her do- from her kids and
5: her grandchildren because she sought help from a monster. And you know what's crazy about that? Um, witness testimony. Well, you don't have enough evidence. Isn't testimony evidence in a court of law? A judge can choose to believe your story and say, I'm going to issue a restraining order. Uh, your testimony uh, is compelling here. It is he. It could be he against her, uh, his word against her word, but who is the judge going to believe?
4: Well, Regina says that the documentation, right, Regina, that it's in the system of, the, of what he did. Is that right?
11: Correct they would not allow that evidence. They would not allow the police reports to be entered into evidence. And his former stepdaughter went on the news shortly after it happened. And of course she was upset because that was somebody that was dear to her. But she said on the news in public that she found my mother's cell phone hidden in a drawer and wondered why the police didn't find it. I also wondered why the police didn't find it and why that was not admitted as evidence. Why couldn't that have shown you know, if it's hidden in a drawer, you know, she, she was arrested almost immediately after it happened. Mm-hmm. How She she told them, you know, that he had taken her phone and she couldn't call for help. She had to use his cell phone to call 911 after it happened. Like, why was none of this able to be admitted into evidence?
4: That's what doesn't make an ounce of sense to me. So you say, well, what, what, the preponderance of evidence uh, doesn't show this or that. Well, you're not allowing any evidence to show it. You're not allowing a police report to show, look, he hit her. He had threats. He's lined up pictures of children to show them. What do you mean no evidence? You didn't allow anything in. That is... And bizarre. her doctor,
11: her doctor yeah. witnessed him threatening her, and they would not allow the doctor to testify either. Like, there's, <laughs> there was a lot of, of stuff that they did not allow because they said it didn't relate to what happened that day. And they didn't have evidence that he held her against her will. That was just her word.
4: <laughs> so her word doesn't matter that she's scared to death. You got a daughter who can testify of all the bizarre behavior. You have a, a her doctor that could call and say, look, uh, this is happening. Uh, she fears for her life. People that observed her behavior, uh, phone being taken against her that's as equal as kidnapping. If I can't call nine one one because you took my phone from me, you've kidnapped me. You've held me Correct. against my will.
1: And on top of that, she said you had the documented cases of like the the health and welfare checks where like the woman had bruises, but they won't admit that as as evidence of a, they, of abuse, domestic violence, everything like that.
11: They would not.
1: Well, I, and
5: I want to I want to bring something up. Now, it's in the news this week about the FBI their failure to uh, adequately investigate sexual abuse allegations against Larry Nassar, who was the gymnast who who molested all those oh, girls. Yeah. yeah, they their failure resulted so you see it's the same similar type patterns. Judges failing to act, FBI failing to act, 70 more girls were molested and sexually assaulted because the FBI failed to act. In this case, uh now this lady's continue uh 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 continue to be harassed, uh threatened, the judge and them re- refuse to act, then when she has to defend herself, she gets sent to prison. So it, it obviously it, it's a more uh widespread problem yes, in policing that they're just selected well it's just like they're out there playing. They're not out there to enforce the law. They're just out there to, well, we're going to pick and choose uh, who we want to enforce the law with. This is this is my man over here, my former law enforcement uh, buddy. Uh, we're not going to enforce any law on him. Uh, the, this black guy over here, we're going to go ahead and go after him. Or uh, uh, it's just always something, uh, it seems like, that these judges exercising discretion refuse to, to to equally enforce the law on a regular basis.
4: No, no, uh, without question this is this is something that is absolutely unacceptable, and Regina, how you have your sanity right now, after going through such a time, uh I can imagine your heartbreak with your mother. what is if you can share a little bit of what her mindset is right now, you want to lock this lady up when you failed to help her when she came to you for help?
11: My mother is sixty two years old, so if she has to spend twenty years, she might not come out alive. That's
5: right. And that's
11: the hardest part for us.
5: Yes. And where's the meat? And they would not
11: consider right. They would not consider any lesser charges. Um they did downgrade it from first degree to second degree, but that's still <laughs> that's wow. still twenty years. Um and they could have given her six. They had the option to to
5: give her six years. Didn't. The option to give her nothing. They should
4: have, you know what they should have done? And the district attorney who prosecuted this case, um, the district attorney who prosecuted this case should be barred from practicing law, period. And if it's a voted, if it's an official that's been voted in, there should be an outcry in the community against his actions.
8: How do you get away
4: with that? It's a small community. He
11: was a white man. She was a Hispanic woman. And her attorney told her, you're not, you know, even if we go to trial, you're not going to get free. They want your blood.
4: Wow, that's un- that's unacceptable. Regina, I'm so sorry that you've dealt with that. Um, there's got to be something that can be done. Have you guys reached out to any advocacy organizations at all other than, again, us connecting Uh, with our team on the
11: just Um, before uh, when when she was first charged we reached out to some advocacy groups um they sent us some literature to share with her attorney and i mean honestly the attorney was just like it's not going to (laughs) matter you know and um you know he he said at first you know he you know with some of the stuff that he found when he went to the residence he thought that you know he would be able to mount a good defense but after it was decided that none of that was admissible. He was hamstrung. He didn't have you know, he he didn't have a defense.
4: Yeah, that's that's, that's unacceptable. Um, something needs to be done. She was sentenced two weeks ago.
13: Uh yes
11: sir.
4: And what do you know what institution she's at?
11: Um she is going to be transferred eventually to um, the McPherson unit in Arkansas, but right now she is in the Arkansas County Jail.
4: Okay. Um, I'm gonna be on, I'm gonna be in touch with you offline, uh, Regina, and see what actions, what steps maybe a Just Cause can take to bring attention to this uh, this travesty and put this show out everywhere we can put it. Uh, across the nation, around the globe, if we can, uh, to hopefully get some help, Uh, that somebody should fight for this. I don't think we just sit back and say, well, it's the way it is. Somebody needs to raise the alarm and sound the alarm on this type of behavior. Um, It's just absolutely insane to me. And And this is why there's a mistrust within the law enforcement community why do we say all the time, all cops are not bad, all cops don't do this? Well, a number of them do. And it's our job to to expose what happens there. Clint, your thoughts?
7: Yeah, this sounds like a, a real horror movie, a rural location outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh one of their own. I mean the moment she said uh he's a former law enforcement officer, corrections officer, now you now you see the the, the collusion and the, the, the special treatment of one of their own, we're we're gonna let we're gonna let Buddy do his thing because Buddy uh retired here. He knew the system. He gained the system. He gained the system knowing uh his his buddies uh uh in the system
4: would protect him
7: and not allow him to go to jail no matter what
4: he did. Virginia, you were you were getting ready to say something. What was it?
7: No, I, I agree. He
11: he had connections, he knew people and they just let him do his thing there was never any repercussions to any of his behavior um and you know when she did go to the the when she returned to little rock to you know escape she did go and talk to the little rock police department and of course it's not their jurisdiction so they they couldn't do anything but there should have been some type of intra-agency discussion about okay you know this guy has been doing this you know this needs to go in a file. And at some point we called. I was on the phone with her, and they wouldn't even take a report. And I said, well, we're going to need this so that we can build a case towards getting a restraining order if it becomes necessary. And they would not do a, a police report.
4: So they failed as well. You've got many players here that failed to, in this process to hopefully shut him down. Mm-hmm. They yeah. simply didn't do it. And I mean, they refused.
11: They refused. How do you refuse to take a police report? <laughs>
4: exactly <laughs> you know, right. But
11: I couldn't I couldn't make them do it. So, um, yeah.
4: Somebody should have made them do it. But then why do we have police? Why do we have sheriff deputies? For what? You're just going to come out to the house. We're not, we're not inviting you out for tea. Right.
7: But you can tell this guy was a predator, he knew the system from the inside out. He knew where the where the gaps were in terms of jurisdiction, in terms of procedural practices, and he was a predator. Took her out in the rural community and did his thing because he knew how to get away with it. Just just a complete predator.
4: Whose home was it? That was located in the rural area, uh, Regina. Uh,
11: his home, where he took her,
4: and she said, if she, if he would, according to what I, I think I've heard you say. If he would leave her children alone in an act of uh, to protect you, your kids, I'll go ahead and take the sacrifice and hopefully can get through this. Is that right? Right.
13: That's correct. That's
4: horrible. That's horrible. Um, Regina, we're going to come right back. We're going to take a quick break. You got a few more minutes you can spend with us? Sure. Okay. We're going to bring you back. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, talking to Regina Gibbons. As uh, this show has been focused on the failure to act by law enforcement, uh, namely Nick Gaynor or Nisha Gainer, uh, two partners in crime that the CSPD uh, is protecting, refuses to bring charges, refuses to do anything in waving a gun, in threats made by these two perpetrators, these two uh, partners in crime, nothing done by CSPD. Then we have Regina Gibbons here, our very special guest, who has suffered a loss as a result of her mother being locked up a couple weeks ago for 20 years for self-defense after crying for help of a gentleman that threatened not only her life, but threatened the life of her children and her grandchildren. He sits tonight uh, in a different situation as a result of self-defense by... Uh, Regina's mother, Maria, Um, she felt compelled to take the law in her hands to protect her own life, and our justice system comes back and says, well, we're going to give you a thank you and lock you up. It's a disgrace to the system in which we are part of. Uh, This is AJC Radio. We're going to be right back. Stay with us.
9: Operator nine one one, where's the emergency?
2: 127,
9: bring me. Okay, what's going on there? I'd like to order a pizza for delivery. Ma'am, you've reached 911. This is an emergency yeah, line. A uh, large with half pepperoni, half mushroom. Um, you know you've called 911. This is an emergency line. How long it'll be? Okay, hey, ma'am, is everything okay over there? Do you have an emergency or not? Yes. Yeah. And you're unable to talk because... Right, right. Is there someone in the room with you? Just say yes or no. Yes. Okay, um, it looks like I have an officer about a mile from your location. Are there any weapons in your house? No. Can you stay on the phone with me? No. See you soon. Thank you.
3: Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall.
12: Because
13: I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16,
3: I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night.
1: Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents.
3: Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent.
7: At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone.
3: Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote.
1: I can't drink.
11: I can't smoke.
1: I can't join the military.
11: Because I'm 16,
2: I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video.
1: But I can go to an adult prison.
2: But I can go to Rikers Island.
7: But I can be sent to Attica. My name
2: is Michael Corriero.
7: I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that.
10: Last week, my father sent me to my room.
8: Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult
7: prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York.
13: 50 white guys here are 50 black guys here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime the chances amount to one out of 17 now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing the chances are one out of three why lots of reasons it's complicated but one thing is clear there's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system when blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes blacks are more likely to be arrested Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are Black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet Blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes? 46% are Black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more Black drug offenders than White ones in state prisons and in federal prison. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is ten times higher for Blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three Black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
12: and bananas. I want to eat, 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 apples and bananas. I need to eat, 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 apples and bananas. Why can't I eat, 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 apples and bananas?
0: children's struggles with hunger in America. Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org.
4: I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Yeah. Today you have a chance to face
6: the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes and one in four U.S. adults are at risk myself included if you're older than 45 or african-american that risk increases so here's a chance to ask yourself what can i do talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are learn more at (music) askscreenknow.com
4: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. This show is probably one of the most heart-wrenching shows we've done. Regina Gibbons, the daughter of a mother who's been sentenced to 20 years in prison, for defending herself in a situation when the law enforcement agencies would not help her. This person threatens Regina Gibbons, her family. I am at a loss that how does the prosecution bring a case against a woman who was over 60 years old and puts her and sentences her go through a trial, it is clear was in a life-threatening situation with this, this person. It was either her or him. But you don't go after this monster who made the threats that you made, that he made, the abuse that was involved here, and you have a daughter, Regina Gibbons, watching their mother go through a nightmare, and when she goes to law enforcement for help, none is given. I cannot tell you how heart-wrenching that is, and for Regina Gibbons, Regina, we are beyond words. And so very sorry. Uh just cause we'll do what we can. Contact agencies, people perhaps that can help your mother. And our prayers is also with you and your family for what you have been through. Jenna, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. I I, I need you to really know that. that it's unbelievable, it's unbearable, unbelievable, and uh, please tell your mother um, when you speak with her, there's an organization by the name of a just because we they're going to do whatever we can within our power to make this story known to people around the globe, and hopefully somebody will say, we need to do something for this woman. I don't care what anybody else has said or, or what their thoughts are. I can tell you, you only speak for a just cause organization. I need you to really know that, okay? Thank you. Um, says here, I know we talked briefly. Uh, we're going to bring an attorney in on this real quick, uh, Regina. Uh, um, and Gwen is the attorney for the young lady here in Colorado Springs who was denied that permanent restraining order by this judge. We're going to get her thoughts. Gwen, are you with us?
14: Yes. Uh, um, can you hear me?
4: Yep. We got. We can hear Hi. you. And we, and we got Regina Givens on the line as well. We've been talking about her story. Um, so, Gwen, tell us a little bit. We talked about the young lady who has been harassed and, if anything, stalked by Nick Gaynor at her place of employment, uh, has no regard for any type of temporary restraining order. He's laughing on a videotape that uh, the young lady is at a location filing the complaint. He's smirking, intimidating. He's trash. He's preying upon the fears of this young lady. Give us your thoughts on the judge. We did name the judge's name earlier who denied the restraining order, the permanent one, and made the statement, your fear is sincere. Well, do your job then. (laughs) That fear is sincere. Do your job. Give us your thoughts on it.
14: First of all, I'd like to send out my condolences to um, Regina. I'm sorry that you're in this situation. Um, I do understand, um, even from going through this situation with my client, how... um, how unjust the system is. Um we she filed a restraining order um and and re, and it was granted that she received uh, there was two threats made by Nicholas Gaynor um on her at her place of employment and the the judge the the magistrate granted the restraining order. Um we were we went to court and then we had um what you call like a mediation for parties on June the 10th, what they call neighborhood justice to be able to try to see if we could settle some matters in good faith. We attempted to go that day that we were there um, on June 14th when we are when I arrived after we went I went upstairs. Mrs. Um, Mrs. Jenkins um, had informed me that Nicholas Gaynor, had threatened her and intimidated her at the entry and so I immediately after we got downstairs reported it to the guard and also to an investigator at the district attorney's office. During that at that time the district attorney investigator Mrs. Colvin directed me to you know make a report to the police department immediately and she also was able to capture the circumstance, uh, the instance on video. And she informed me that she would be able to release that that to us. So we contacted the police department right then. Um, that was approximately, I think it was two o'clock in the afternoon. They didn't arrive um, at my client's house until like after midnight, the, the very next day. And she, she explained to me, as I heard in your story, um, they they did take an initial report, but it was basically, you know, it wasn't really, uh, how I could say, uh, pursued. We had to keep contacting Officer Vivekwa, which was the one who took the report, and I had to keep contacting him. I contacted him over approximately a two-week time frame before they even made a decision that they weren't going to pursue, a restraining order. In the meantime, I contacted Lieutenant David, which was his lieutenant. I also contacted their commander. and Unfortunately, I can't remember her name at this time, but uh, her first name was Mary. I contacted her, and they were just basically twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing. And then eventually, I finally talked to a uh, Officer Tollefson. He still didn't do anything. He got rude with me on the phone. Saying that he was not that there was nothing that took place on the video, there was no violation. And finally, I got the video last about a week ago. Reviewed the video, and you could clearly see that Mr. Gain was in violation, threatening my client at the entryway. So we went to, we went we went to court, and the judge the judge um the magistrate, she. That heard the whole testimony. She said that she said that she believed that Mrs. Jenkins' uh, fear was real. That was her words. That I, I understand, and I'm not trying to minimize your fear. I truly understand that your fear is real. However, um, she denied <laughs> a permanent restraining order. And she also reprimanded Mr. Gaynor at that time and, and, and told him, well, uh, because he does carry a weapon, um, I, I would suggest that you not um, return to her place of employment. And so she's given it. She said, I can't order you not to, but I'm warning you it's in your best interest not to go. So how is that? It, it just leaves it open. My client sent a letter to the court. She expressed her fear um Mr. Gaynor has a gun. With all these gun situations, the gun situation in Walmart, the gun situation at King Supers, she expressed even in her testimony she was concerned about the welfare of her peers, her employees, her colleagues at work. You know, if Mr. Gaynor decided that he wanted to use his weapon um, illegally, it's it's just amazing how law enforcement did nothing.
4: The judge's name again?
6: Kosiski.
4: Kosiski? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to pronounce. I'm sorry. This judge took the coward's door out. It's what she did. Don't give me your empathy. Oh, your, your fear is real. There's nothing else to say, but I order now a permanent restraining order against Nicholas Gaynor. Exactly. Oh, tell me what you think, however. There is no however other than a body bag. That's the however, Judge. That's the however.
5: Uh, Miss Jenkins is not a blue-eyed blonde. Um, no, she's not. Unfortunately, uh, if she was a little blue-eyed white woman, uh, as we've seen in the system, and not black or brown, uh, uh you do get a little uh different treatment uh yeah he's this this black guy is harassing this little white woman these These things are real, and these judges yeah. uh these judges obviously they see things differently if if they see you differently if they see the person in front of them differently if, if I guarantee one hundred percent if Nick gainer this black thug was at the job of a white woman, it's all over mm-hmm. Uh He's under the jail. He, he's arrested even, immediately. Not even maybe under the
4: jail, maybe shot in the back eight times.
14: Yeah, I and mean, then just, I did want to add, too, that she did, the ma- magistrate even noted that Mrs. Jenkins, my client, was credible in her testimony.
4: All so of that, and you deny her.
14: Exactly.
4: And, and uh, Maria... Um, I mean, uh, Regina, I'm sorry. When you hear this, how similar it is to, it seems similar to me, as far as the failure to act by law enforcement, right down the same lines that, that your mom suffered as a result of, of the uh, of the asking for help. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it?
11: Yes, it does. And, you know, if my mom had been young and pretty and white, she would not be where she is
4: right now. Wow. And that's the reality we live in. Nobody wants to have that conversation. Well, we, this you know, it's not bad. You know, we protect the system. Uh, we're doing our best. No, you're not. Exactly. Because, uh, Regina Given's mother would not be behind bars right now in County jail in Arkansas if you did your job. And if you did your job after she defended herself, this is what I don't get. This woman is 60 years old. She just went rogue and killed somebody? Not in this case. No. Not in this case. It didn't happen. But we want to lump everybody in the same group. Well, I mean, common sense. Take any degrees off the table. Common sense tells you that this woman, this man lining up pictures of her children, Mm. stating he is going to kill them. That's a credible threat. And then they want to get on the news. We don't know what happened here. You do know what happened. You failed to do your job. It's a disgrace. Yeah, and then they
14: and then and then they cover for each other. That's what I'm uh, I'm totally astounded about, um, Lamont, is they, they cover for each other. I t it was Commander Mary Rosenoff, that's who it was.
4: Mary Rosenoff at C S P D.
14: Yes, and so I'm talking to three officials in the police department that do nothing. So I can understand Regina's pain and what she's what her mother's going through and then they turn around and turn on the person that you have to do it put things in their own hands because they're not protected they're not they're not protected by law enforcement that's supposed to be actually like you said doing their job
4: well they document to, be supposed
14: to serve and protect
4: well that's uh, that joke uh, that's a joke in law enforcement today again not all officers but a great number of people and when I when I read Regina's story, my heart simply broke because her mother, who's never Regina, am I right? Never been in trouble with the law, no issues, um, simply wanting to live her life, enjoy her family, and have a you know have a peaceful life. I presume that's who your mother was, right?
11: Correct. She'd never ever been in trouble with the law. Never even had a traffic ticket. She didn't even drive. <laughs> So um he made her financially dependent on him. Um she had to quit her job to to leave with him. And then the cover up basically begins from the moment that she's arrested. She um she told me and I verified this when I looked at her court case that um when they were interviewing her, you know, the officer that, that wrote up the interview said that he did not see her cry, that she was fake crying. But she said I had already told my story eight times. I was dead inside at that point. <laughs> you know? Did and you say the... so he didn't yeah.
4: Did you say the officer said she was fake crying? He wrote that in his report. Well it's shut down from there. Anybody that goes yeah. into that record is gonna believe this is a bogus uh you know issue. She's fake crying. She's going through the motions. She's acting. What gives a cop the right, right to do that?
14: Exactly.
4: What's that? What's that officer? I mean, name? you do tell you your it?
7: story. Um,
11: I don't have it right this second. I can definitely get it. Um, but she, you know, she said, you know, I had already told my story, you know, six or eight times. I talked to several different people. I was cried out at that point. This is hours later.
12: <laughs> you right. know.
11: And I mean that. I mean that totally makes sense. Like you're dry at that point, um, you know. You, you're scared. You're you're you don't have anybody to hold your hand even. And you know she didn't have an attorney. She did, you know, say that she waived her right to an attorney. But she said I, I didn't think I had done anything wrong. You know,
4: right. I thought
11: they would let me go home, which is what I wanted. I just wanted to go home.
4: And she never left home from that night on.
11: You know, she was in county jail for a while. We did um, we did have the funds to, to – we asked several people to help us, right. Um, and then I had a very generous friend that helped me with the vast majority of it. So we did get to bring yes. her home for a bit before she ended up having to submit that plea.
4: How old are your children? So she pleaded in this case?
11: She did have to plead in this case um, because she felt that the risk um, – was too high if she had been convicted of first-degree murder, which is probably what would have happened. I mean, even her attorney said, you know, he said, I, I have no defense. All I'm going to be able to do is just sit there and just look at the judge. I, I, there's nothing I can do.
4: Okay, who And listen? um okay. Let me make sure I heard you right. Um, this attorney makes the statement to your mom, I have no defense. With all the abuse that was going on in this case, I have no defense. What is he? Is he a lawyer?
14: Exactly. But the
4: the judge did not
11: permit any of that evidence to be um, allowed. Why not? They said it wasn't relevant to the events that happened that night. Of course this
1: is relevant. Oh it relevant. A pattern of abuse?
4: It's not exactly. relevant to self-defense? I'm sorry, the guy was lining pictures of children up to kill them. He threatened her, her kids he threatened her, and I, I, I presume he put his hands on her. Is that right?
11: Um, that They did not document that. The only thing they documented was that at some point that they did see bruises on her.
4: So we just kind of ran into to a... But what leave out. Yep, yep. It, it, listen, a psychopath on this level, he's putting his hands on her. Okay, yeah. where did the bruises come from, cop? This 60-year-old woman just ran into a fence. Decided to throw herself on the ground, and she has bruises. We have bruises on this body.
5: All the, all the police reports. Was, was,
14: uh, Regina, was this a public defender? It was a public defender. Yep.
5: It's,
4: oh, a, unbelievable. Distra- it's a
14: disgrace in the
4: legal system. Oh, I don't have a defense. Uh, your mom's name is Maria, right? Correct. I don't have a defense, Maria. Just go ahead and plead out. He should be barred and never should be allowed to practice law again. What do you call yourself I a couldn't. lawyer for? I'm I'm overwhelmed right now, and we see cases like this all the time. But when you hear it, it's always new. You know why it feels new every time? Because it is a disgrace in our system. I don't have a defense for you. But what are you doing? What are you doing here?
14: I agree. That's, it, as an attorney, that that is extremely disgraceful. There's self-defense, there, and as somebody had mentioned, there's a pattern of abuse. I can't even believe a judge would not allow that in in this type of case. That's, that's, that's a the,
4: question, Regina, let me ask you a question real quick, because it is a new sentence or agreement plea. Uh, she's been sentenced already. Is that correct? Correct. All right, so which means you have an option here, and Gwen, you can uh, you can speak to this. Uh, you have an option of a 35C motion, at least is what they call it here in the state of Colorado, which is for ineffective counsel. Uh, exactly. I, I I would presume that's on the table, right, Gwen?
14: Yeah, she can. She would have to withdraw her plea, um, and then and request a 35C.
4: Oh, that's right, because conviction. they try to bar you from they try to bar you from doing that with a plea deal, right, Gwen? Yes. For post conviction relief.
14: Yes.
4: Oh boy. Well, listen, Regina, we're going to do our best to help you in any way that we can. Uh, the 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 ink is still warm on the paper, which means there may be an out here, and I'm not giving you false hope. I'm telling you, whatever we can do as an advocacy organization. Uh we need to do our best to try to help your mom. That's what we need to try to do. Um, maybe there's a way out of here. Gwen, I mean you're not gonna know unless you're exhausted. Um
14: was there was there was what was the sentence, Regina? Um it was a twenty year sentence.
4: Oh God, that's that's crazy. And she's sixty. So you might as well say life. Uh-huh. Right, she's sixty two.
11: She's
4: sixty two? Correct. Okay. Um, Virginia, we're going to be in touch offline. I don't want to take too much more of your time. You've been a, a true hero today um, to share these things that happen, and this is your mom. Again, accept our sincere uh, uh, condolences. Uh, I don't usually use that word unless somebody has died, but the system is guilty of. Technically, taking your mom's life.
14: That's true.
4: They should be held accountable for it. I don't have a defense. I am going to be in touch with you. We're going to get all the names we need. I don't have a defense. I need to contact the public defender's office there and reprimand, Have the hopefully the deputy public defender reprimand this. this I don't even want to say lawyer. <laughs> what is he? Gentleman. This, he's not a
2: gentleman. <laughs> well,
11: you know, and he he said that um, the only reason that the uh, the prosecuting attorney didn't go for something lighter is because you know the abuser's family was pushing so hard, and I, I just don't understand it. I I really, you know, I I believe in accountability for everyone yes. for ourselves you know i you know when i have somebody close to me that has passed away i know when they're a bastard you know <laughs> i know when right. they're a bastard and it, and, it, and it's terrible but you know something bad happens then i accept it they have right. accepted they saw what he did to their mother when he was married to their mother that's and, right uh, you know and they still push so hard and um you know, and I, I'm sorry that their loved one is dead, but honestly, throughout this whole situation, I I kept praying. I said, Lord, you know, don't let it be her. Well, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, right. because she was right. back against the wall and she didn't have a choice. So right. I, I that... really appreciate you all looking into this and, and having me on. I, I'm so grateful right for you. You know, if it, it's, it's just one person can hear this story and make a change for themselves, it will be worth it.
4: Well, I can assure you it's more than one person listening to this show tonight. So we're going to do our very best to get the word out again uh, on your story. I am going to be speaking with you. Look, uh, we're going to do everything we can. That's all I can tell you. And hopefully uh, get some traction, some people here in this show. Um, I think Gwen uh, is is concerned as well. Um, the attorney yes. for the young lady that's dealing with this. We're going to do whatever we can Uh Uh, Regina, uh, talk to your mother. Tell her she has an organization called A Just Cause out here making some movement. That is our hope uh, to do what we can. Um, Trying to find help here and something that can be done. Um, But we're going to be in touch. I promise you that. Thank you for taking time tonight with us. Uh, Give your very best. I want to ask you real quick to be sensitive to your family. How are they hanging in there as a result of this? I'm sure not doing too well.
11: Yeah, it's um, it's been tough, uh, especially for my nephew who was very close to her. Um, he's having a really hard time, and you know, he's already written three letters to her. <laughs> you know? oh, you? So, um, we're just we're just trying to hang in there, and you know, I will let her know, and you know, I've told her this whole time, no matter what, you know, we love you, and we're we're always in your corner. Um
4: oh, that's good. So that's I appreciate good. it. Us. Thank you well, so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Regina. We'll be in touch, right. ladies and gentlemen. Regina right. Gibbons. She is the co-host of House of X, podcaster, uh, suffered a huge injustice here that we, are, we talked about tonight uh, in our storyline, of course, being the gainers, but we say the gainers and then the, um, the Gibbons injustice, I would have to name the show that, um, uncomprehendable, that we live in this country and things like this, uh, and this is why people die every single day in this country because someone fails to do their job in law enforcement, from the bench, and in prosecutors' offices. And I'll tell you what, a just cause organization will continue to expose that corruption. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. I've been getting mixed messages about women
3: and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models?
9: Boys are never going to approach you.
3: Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women?
9: You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong.
10: Did you know? But over 1.5 million
9: children in America have parents that are incarcerated.
0: These children cope with the pain
1: through drugs, alcohol,
0: anger, and violence. It
1: is so important. It's so important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone.
13: Become a part of the community. The community.
1: The community. Become a
8: part of the community. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years... They each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call.
12: The
15: United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining seven and a half percent were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24 percent and this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels, and thus it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again, to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, Is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America.
2: Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougasol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org.
9: We know you care. Now is time Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth
8: participation in juries is extremely low to non existent
11: The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced trials have exploded.
7: <laughs> youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get
9: fair trials.
3: If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register
14: to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service.
4: Welcome back to AJC Radio, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight on AJC Radio, uh, dealing with a very troubled topic, folks. Um, The failure to act in situations where life can be taken. Uh, Restraining orders, temporary and permanent restraining orders. uh, Officers kind of looking the other way. uh, Women dying at the hand of abusers. Um, It is absolutely Uncomprehensible uh, and for those officers that indulge in such behavior, uh, you are a disgrace to the department in which you serve and if, 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 if it is behavior that is sanctioned by local law enforcement, they are a disgrace to law enforcement, uh, but right now we're going to take a quick turning of the page, if you will, um, to heroes that honor the badge moment. There are officers, and a just cause is determined to always honor officers who honor the badge. They are in in the numbers, the very high numbers, and this is our special segment that we added. Given what we're discussing tonight, it is important and very important that we remember the officers across this nation who go that extra step, who I believe are heroes that honor the bad segment. And we've started that. So we'd like to uh, to honor that. Uh, Samson, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and go uh, with this one. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and, and, and do this very, very quickly. Columbus police officer saves life of elderly woman. Uh, lucky is probably a Columbus woman's favorite word. It's how she feels, and it's who saved her life. Columbus police officer, Lance Lucky, was honored for saving that elderly woman. The city council presented Lucky with a letter of commendation. He was wrapping up a call when he saw an elderly woman choking on her medication. Lucky jumped into action once he realized what was happening. He performed the Heimlich maneuver to save the unidentified lady's life. Being attentive, he was already on a call, being attended to, to see her flagging him down. The fear inside of a house, flagging him down, this shows he was observant. So not only was he doing his job, but he was being observant at the same time. Being at the right place at the right time and doing the right thing is absolutely awesome. That's what we want from all of our officers, said Columbus Police Chief Fred Shelton. Lucky he has been with the department for about 15 years. And this is what we talked about, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a week ago having a conscience and a state of mind to observe your surroundings as an officer. Because danger can strike at any time. The life of this elderly woman was saved as a result of the actions by Officer Lucky. And for Officer Lucky, we thank you so very much. We honor you on this show. Thank you for your heroic act in saving a life and
1: honoring the badge and being one of our heroes as well. Samson, you have one as well. Please share it. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, an NYPD officer, Ronald Kennedy, was praised by his bosses for quickly uh, thinking about how to make a makeshift, um, basically, bandage uh, for a stab victim that was reported on uh, July 7th. He said a 28 year old man had been stabbed in the torso. Immediately, uh, Officer Kennedy jumped into action and said, Go get me a, a bag of potato chips right now. And you hear when you hear that it gets to be a little bit crazy. But he said, he, emptied, he emptied out the bag of potato chips, immediately put it over the victim's wound, taped it shut, and basically held it there, reassuring the victim. He's like, you know, I know, I know. Just relax, we've got you. He held it there and stayed there with the young man until the paramedics arrived. Once the paramedics arrived, it says they immediately uh, removed um, his makeshift bandage, applied. And while uh, the paramedics treated him, the the, uh, the officer kept saying, "Keep breathing, bro. Keep breathing." He he basically uh, the young man was in critical but stable condition as of Sunday, and officers actually arrested um, the person that stabbed him on on counts of attempted murder. But the, it just goes to show you that he his quick thinking, his you know discretion to act on the behalf of another human life. You know, it saved this young man. It saved him because he. it shows here that it, he had a collapsed lung. He'd actually, like, gone into respiratory failure. Mm-hmm. And because of a bag of potato chips, a willing officer, and some tape, this young man's alive today.
4: Well, and that's what you call when they, aren't, when they are there to serve and to protect. These officers are the examples of that. Thank you, officers, for your service and for what you do every day. We appreciate that here on AJC Radio. And that will be posted on our website, uh, the stories that took place there. Um, and it's important that that's done right now. I'm honored to bring our final guest for our final segment of the show, Michael Avery. Um, he is a writer and professor and an attorney. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, he speaks about, uh, accountability with police officers, uh, misconduct of officers. We're going to get his perspective on what we've discussed on the show tonight thus far. Uh, and man, the time has gone quickly, uh, but we are very, very honored. Uh, to have Mr. Avery with us. Mr. Avery, are you with us?
16: I am. Thank you very much.
4: And thank you, sir, for joining us tonight. Out of your schedule, we appreciate it so very much. Not sure how much of the show you've heard tonight, um, but we were discussing a few things in police accountability and protective orders, uh, casualties of failure to act, if you will, by officers in regards to uh, people dying uh, as a result of... Kind of officers, kind of looking the other way. Judges not granting temporary restraining orders to, and I would think a temporary restraining order is there to, is there. to really uh, look into what exactly is going on. Your thoughts, Mister Avery, as we get into this dialogue.
16: Well, I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to hear any of the shows so far, but uh, okay. Uh, so I'm not sure what context you're speaking about temporary restraining orders in, but. Uh, across the board, temporary restraining orders are usually difficult to get. So you have to show a, an emergency-type situation, and you also have to show that you have a very strong case behind it.
4: Well, the, this particular case that we talked about uh, is where a temporary restraining order actually was granted by a judge. Um, and the attorney of this young lady, uh, Miss Jenkins, came on the show a little bit ago um, and spoke about it, that he he basically violated an order, a temporary restraining order at the district attorney's office uh, locally as she was filling paperwork out. Uh, so it was one of those things that, that needed to be looked at. Um, and they ignored it. Did This is the third attempt that they've made in order to do that. Um, and uh, so saying, when the time for that. Go ahead, Mr. Avery.
16: You are saying the police ignored the temporary restraining order?
4: Uh correct. Well, Mr Mr Avery really quick a tech, a technical <laughs> note is your is your phone on speaker?
16: Uh it is. You so I can hear you. You want me to take that off?
4: If you can, we got we got uh a echo if you will or feedback coming through. We want to make sure our listeners hear you and what you have to say.
16: Okay. Uh
4: There we are. That should do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Uh, So, what happened in this case, uh, Mr. Avery, the the lady, the gentleman, uh, Mr. Gaynor, had gone to her job. I believe it was twice, had gone to her job, kind of, you know, know, people's kind of, it's kind of like a predator lurking as they hunt. Uh, That's the kind of behavior he had. Said something to her. She walked the opposite way. So, this is at her work. Uh, at her place of employment Uh, she went and filed a complaint initially, they denied the temporary order initially, then he did it again filed the complaint again they granted the temporary order then he violates it when they're in court as she's filling paperwork out at the DA's office uh, to, to bring charges for violation of this order the judge makes the statement at the hearing I believe your fear is real. However, we are denying the request for a permanent restraining order and we cannot grant it. How does those two statements go together?
16: Well, also, if the person had violated the temporary restraining order, I would think that would be all the more reason to grant a permanent order.
4: Correct. Correct. And that was never done. And so we're like, The concern we have is that what happens, we had a a young lady on our show, uh, Regina Gibbons, she's got out of Arkansas, uh, she was on the first segment, and she was talking about her mother, who was 62 years old, um, who was in a bad situation with this guy, Uh, her father had passed away, I guess the the mother was somewhat lonely, Uh, there are all type of applications out there to hook up and to get to know each other or to date or do whatever, especially for, you know, people over 55, 50, whatever. Um, but the guy became a major abuser. He threatened her daughter's children that he was going to kill them. He lined them up, all their pictures up and shot at those pictures and said, that's what I'm going to do to all of them. She repeatedly went to law enforcement asking them for help. Nothing was done. Uh they were in a rural well, area? Not. Yes.
16: This is a this is a a very common problem, which we see across the country, yes. which is in a domestic situation, which can either be a, an elder abuse situation or it can be, a, you know, a man beating up on the woman he's with or or more rarely a woman abusing the man she's with. Right. A, and it's very difficult to get the police in many communities to enforce uh, these orders of protection, Uh, whether it's a temporary restraining order or uh, whether it's a sort of a keep-away order. uh, This this has been a a problem across the country, And, and a number of civil rights lawyers have tried to bring lawsuits against the government agencies that employ these officers, against the city, or the county, or the sheriff's office, uh, whoever it may be, and, and the courts have been remarkably unfriendly to these cases. Uh, so, so, protecting someone in in that kind of situation of domestic abuse uh, is very difficult, and uh, it's it's just a, you know been
4: a recurring problem for many years
16: uh, everywhere in the country.
4: And, Mr. Avery, let me ask you a question, and I understand what you're saying as far as the difficulty. They talk about all type of reforms within our system to make it better. This, it sounds to me there needs to be a call from reform about these particular issues, and then why are the courts so unwilling when you have when you have people dying? In some of these cases, this 62-year-old woman has been sentenced to 20 years in prison, uh because she defended herself, and when she went to ask for help, she couldn't get it. So it was either it was either him or her. What what do you say to folks and women that are scared out there, and men? Like you said, occasionally you'll have men being abused as well. How do we get help if it's something that's so unfriendly to the court?
16: Well, unfortunately, uh there's there's a very old doctrine that is used. Uh, by the uh, defense in these cases. And that doctrine is that the government does not have any obligation, any legal obligation uh, to protect uh, a citizen from other citizens. So uh, the Supreme Court decided a a very important case in this area with regard to protecting uh, children uh, who've been abused. uh, The Deshaney case. And said that there was no duty to, to protect children, even though reports had been made uh, of child abuse, uh, and that has been extended to the to the domestic uh, disturbance kind of situation. Uh, so that uh, you know there is this legal doctrine out there, which I, I think is has been used in a very unfortunate way, uh, that makes it difficult to make the government liable when it fails to, fails to protect somebody.
4: Oh Well, and, and, and to that point, Mr. Avery, I, I would believe that the, the lack of trust uh, from citizens who don't know any better. You know, the thing is, you get in trouble, hey man, call 911. Call the police. Get something done. I think it's tragic. I agree with you. It's unfortunate. But you're talking about you, you talk about something that really tears down the trust in communities with policing because I think uh, uh, Regina Gibbons made the point that she had an issue uh, herself that they said, ah, you don't have enough to go here. So they didn't, they didn't even aggressively feel confident at that point to keep pursuing protection from the police because the police, she said, they wouldn't even write a report. But they noted in the complaint that the, the the threats, the bruises on this 62-year-old woman's body, you note all of that, but just stick it in a file. Uh, that is dangerous and reckless. Dave, you had something for Mr. Avery. Go ahead.
10: Yeah, Mr. Avery, one of the questions I wanted to ask is when the Supreme Court says that the police are not required to protect you, what can be done? well uh, th-
16: th- th- that's the problem. Uh, you have to look elsewhere for protection now there are There are a few exceptions to that general rule, kind of highly technical legal arguments if, if If the police have some kind of special relationship with you, for example if the, if the person is an informant uh, or if the person is incarcerated and the, the jailer knows that there's a specific threat against this person or even a general threat against persons like him, then there may be a duty to, to protect. Uh, if the state itself creates the danger, uh, the, the state-created danger exception to this general rule exists. But, but these are all theories that are, are you know, Difficult to use and and difficult to enforce. Uh, you know the the general the general theory is that uh, that the government can't be tasked with protecting everyone all the time. I'm not defending that theory. I'm just telling you what right. it is. And and that has been used to deny people any compensation when the when the police don't protect them.
5: Yeah, this is. I got another question for you, Mr. Avery. Um, sure, we're we're, we're seeing. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts. We're seeing uh, the, obviously the George Floyd case uh, received national, international attention, um, and 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 it was, I guess, supposed to be the poster child for why people distrust uh, police uh, in in so many ways. But what we're we're finding out more often than none is that. People have their own experiences, uh, whether it's these domestic violence issues where they go to law enforcement or the courts for help, they can't get help. Um, And even in the case of uh, Miss Given's uh, mother, who ended up shooting uh, her abuser or killing her abuser, I can't remember if if she shot him, but ended up killing her abuser because people wouldn't do it. Now she's facing time in prison. So your thoughts on just how uh, pervasive distrust is uh, based on these type of issues and not just the cases like George Floyd, because there's so much going on outside the national, international cameras uh, to contribute to uh, uh, widespread distrust of police.
16: Well, the, the, the case you're describing sounds like a terrible tragedy to me. What what has happened there is a, a breakdown in civilization, a, a breakdown in organized social responses to a situation where there should have been uh, some, some services provided to this lady. And so she resorted to self-protection. I mean, just taking what you said is true. I don't actually know right. the facts, but... It, But if we force people to, uh, you know, go to the extreme of using violence to protect themselves, uh, that's a breakdown in our social order. That's a breakdown in the social contract. And and we know that that happens more often to women, to people of color, uh, to gay people, uh, you know, than it does to people who don't fall into these uh, disadvantaged categories when, when it comes to prejudice and and the deck being stacked against them in many ways. So that's a you know I I can only agree with you uh, that that is a that is a breakdown in our social order.
4: No, without question, uh, that's one of those things that, and I think I think Mr. Avery was 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 really um, discouraging, if you will, or disheartening. Uh, for the people who need that help. And I think I agree with you 100%. When you say it is a breakdown, that if you forced an elderly woman to take matters, it could have easily gone the other way uh, as a result of this act. And she's the victim. She could be the one that was killed. Then what do you do with the family and the, the daughter Miss Gibbons, who is so heartbroken as a result of what's happened? Uh, it is very very uh, disheartening, and like you said, well, it happens. Go ahead, Mr. Avery.
16: You know, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about so much lately is that
2: uh, Americans
16: have always uh, prided themselves on a certain kind of rugged individualism uh, and an ability to to make their own way, but but given the the social problems we have right now and and i mean covid is a perfect example of this uh we're now living in a world where where that kind of rugged individualism needs to be replaced by by a more socially conscious effort to to work on things together and to you know to have regard for other human beings uh yes. you know so, something as simple as wearing a mask for example uh yes. sh- shouldn't be uh, some kind of symbol of liberty is to toss your mask away. It should be a symbol of social cooperation uh, to, to try to work with other people to solve our problems. I, yes. I think we need a realignment in this country uh, of the way of the way we think about social responsibility on the one hand and individualism on the other.
5: Well, I agree with you uh, 100% on that. It's, I think what happens is government... When government tries to force something down people's throat, Uh if a private business says, well, we need you to wear a mask or uh, or uh, people typically don't have a problem with that, especially once uh, the government has done their job to inform uh, the inform the public. Uh, one of the major issues, obviously, mask wearing is a more passive type of issue, but uh, the government has seemed to become more aggressive in even mandating that somebody does something with their body in the form of a vaccine or medication or something along those lines. And that becomes a little hard for a lot of people to really deal with. And I kind of take it akin. You you always hear the statement from the abortion people, uh, abortion uh, rights activists who say you can't tell a woman what to do with her body. But then conversely, you see this uh, different attitude towards people taking uh, or trying to force people to take vaccines. Well, there are always consequences to medication. Uh, there are consequences. And unfortunately, there, there, are, there are situations in, in this world. People get sick. People die. Uh, some people will die from the medication. So you're asking people to risk uh, certain things socially. Uh, people, I think, will come together and work together. If you just can't uh, for, uh, force uh, government uh, to kind of force force the issue really causes people to uh, kind of backtrack. And then this is an emergency use vaccine. It hasn't even been approved by the FDA. So those type of issues contribute to a lot of uh, pushback on, on what you're talking about. Your thoughts, Mr. Avery? Okay? Well, I,
16: you know, you're, you're obviously correct in the way you're describing what's happened. Uh, the normative question is is a different one. So, somehow, this particular issue has gotten politicized in a way that I think is unfortunate. I mean, we, we do accept mandatory vaccination in a variety of other contexts, and we accept, um, well, many of us accept anyway the need for people to wear a helmet when they're riding a motorcycle. You know, there's all kinds of yep. things like that uh, that we're already doing, uh, but but somehow this this thing here got uh, politicized in a way that makes it very difficult for people to come together and talk about what's in their mutual interest.
5: Exactly right. Oh, and
4: I agree with that, Mr. Avery. And I think overall, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, the pandemic simply is one portion of where you see social unrest. It leaks yes. into, It leaks into... Uh, what we're talking about tonight with with people feeling like I can't call the police or is a judge going to grant me a restraining order or if I've moved and relocated because I need to protect my children. Uh, and I agree with you on that. we There has to be an overall social uh, uh, revolution, if you will, a social uh, healing, if you will, that needs to happen that we consider this people like this elderly woman, uh, uh, Regina uh, Gibbons' mother, who was forced in a situation, as you alluded to, to protect herself, an elderly lady yeah. to protect herself, and said, look, I'll go live with you if you will quit threatening my children. Because you're saying you're going to kill my children. Well, that's the love of a mother. I, I don't want my daughter hurt. I don't want my grandchildren hurt. And I agree with you on that, that this country is in a, that we lack human decency. Human compassion, we've left that a long time ago. Uh, and I, I think the point you make with that, man, we need an overhaul in our social system. Social system, you got people getting shot at Walmart because they don't have a mask on. Guy left out and said, look, I'm not happy today. I've been locked up a year and a half. I'm going back with my gun. I'm going to kill the security guard. I'm going to kill the the, the, uh, the cashier. I agree with you. I think it's a point well made. Uh, Mr. Avery, and and let me get your closing thoughts. We're on our way against the clock. I hope we can get you back on when you have more time. I think you have a lot to offer to not only this dialogue, but other dialogue that we're definitely going to be getting into here on AJC Radio. Give your closing thoughts. What do we do? How do we look for hope in a situation, as you alluded to here, that seems to be out of control?
16: Well, thank you for inviting me on the show. I appreciate
4: it. And you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And, uh, Uh, We appreciate you taking time and we appreciate the work that you're doing, that you're involved in. And uh, like I said, we'll be in touch offline and hopefully can bring you back. Thanks for adding to this conversation so beautifully tonight as we needed it for, uh, to at least look, let's take a look, let's take a listen and let's see how we get better. Okay. Have a good evening. All right, Mr. Avery, take care. All right, folks, there you have it. Uh, uh, Michael Avery, he's a writer, professor, and attorney. Uh, he he uh, had only that amount of time this evening to spend with us. We, we ho- or hope to be uh, back in touch with Mr. Avery and get him back on other topics. So he has a lot of experience in things, David, we, we read. Um, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to bring him back. Ladies and gentlemen, take a look and uh, listen up real, real clear. Uh, we're in a social tsunami, and that's not a good thing. To Regina Gibbons, our very special thanks to you for Mr. Avery and to Maria, the mother of Regina Gibbons, who is, has been a point of delusion, uh, of shock, of what she has had to endure. Our prayers and thoughts go with that family. I just cause we'll we'll fight earnestly here, hopefully uh, that we can bring some relief to that young, to that woman that has been. Shock, if you will, into a system that has failed. Until next time, America, this is AJC Radio. I'm Lamar. Thanks for AJC Radio and all of our co hosts tonight and the entire AJC Radio team. Take care and be safe. We'll talk to you next time.